0: But if we reframe that to show, okay, if I do this, I'll actually get to put my money towards the things that I want to do. It's like dealing with our money is a radical act of self-love.
1: Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Ashley Feinstein-Gersley, founder of the Fiscal Femme and creator and author of the 30-Day Money Cleanse. As an entrepreneur and feminist, Ashley is on a mission to end inequality through financial well-being, and her 30-Day Money Cleanse program has helped thousands of people cultivate harmonious relationships with money and achieve their goals. Plus, She's a heck of a lot of fun. Last year, Ashley made a parody video with other money nerds of Ariana Grande's song Seven Rings, redoing it as savings, and it was hilarious. Don't worry, I'll link to it in the show notes. But today, I wanted to bring Ashley on the show to walk you through how to do your own money cleanse to bring more awareness to your spending and your relationship with money. Because, as Ashley says in her book, magical things happen when we become aware. Stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this lovely chat with Ashley, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Ashley for our complete show notes and to download your free copy of our Healthy Money Mantras worksheets. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Ashley, how's it going? Great. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. excited to be here.
1: So I read your book, The 30-Day Money Cleanse, which is amazing. And I want to know, why do we all need to do a money cleanse?
0: Oh, yes, we all need a money cleanse. So I think the cool part about the book and why it's really relevant to everyone is it creates more room in your spending for the things that are important to you, no matter what your goals are or what you're trying to do. So if you want more money to do things that you want, then it's it's a good fit and <laughs> People do it over and over because it's different every single time. It kind of meets you where you are.
1: Awesome. So we're going to go through kind of the the steps of that process today. But I want to know first, what's your history with your relationship with money? Did you have to go through this cleanse process on your own?
0: <laughs> yes, many times. <laughs> <laughs> No, I you know I I do what I do because I needed it. So I mm-hmm. definitely had a lot of things to work through, and still do, and still need these check-ins, and um, still come back to the the process. So I'm a I'm a fan of that, and I I think that also helps me to really get it because that's where I'm coming from. So I studied finance, worked in finance, still knew nothing about my own money. And had to figure it out.
1: Can you tell us more about like what that what that was like? What was wrong about your relationship with money when you were working in finance or early on? So
0: a few of the things that so a few things happened. I the I would say to sum up my relationship with money when I was in my investment banking job was a lack of relationship. Like I <laughs> I had no free time, so when I could spend money, it, and I had a really great salary, so it really wasn't something that I looked at very often, I was spending mostly everything I was earning, even though I had no free time, which is pretty incredible. And (laughs) so there was definitely like a lack of consciousness about what I was spending and what dollar, right, I talk a lot about maximizing our joy per dollar spent. And I was Mm -hmm. very much not aware of, of that concept and um, keeping any money for myself after all that hard work.
1: That work hard, play hard thing is real strong in Wall Street, in the Wall Street community, as we both know. Yes. So what was the wake up call? Like, when did you realize that you had to deal with things differently?
0: So the wake up call didn't happen for a while after that. I did have some things that happened where I was like, this is not great. Um, taking out a store credit card and not really knowing how it works and getting my credit blemished and so funny enough, that really wasn't the wake-up call. The wake-up call happened in my <laughs> next job. I took a pay cut and I had a lot more free time. So I was making up for all of the time where I wasn't seeing my friends and doing activities in New York City and quit to to do this new job in my corporate finance role the day after I got my bonus. And I <laughs> the wake-up call happened in a moment where I I had this feeling that like things weren't going well and the money was going away, but it didn't hit me until I actually logged in and was like, "I've only been in this job for six weeks and my bonus is gone. This is not sustainable, and I have to figure it out, or I'm going to have to go back to that job that I don't want to do." And I know we many of us work in jobs just for the money, but it felt so powerless to say. I love this new lifestyle and this new job and it's not going to be workable if I don't figure this out.
1: It makes me think about that whole idea that you can't out earn your spending, right? Like this crazy thing that we have sometimes of like, we hear from people in our community that are like, I just don't make enough money. Maybe if I made a little bit more, it would, it would all fix itself. But that's not right.
0: Yes. This is actually my favorite topic because (laughs) it's really depressing. But once we get over the depression of this, it's really liberating um, and like some extreme examples that I always think too because this has happened to me over and over in my job. I thought as soon as I get that raise, I'll finally start saving or now a few times that happened and I still didn't save and then I thought as, if I like doubled my salary, it would, it would happen and I had the chance to almost do that and it still didn't matter um, and like the bankruptcy rate for lottery winners is four times the average population. Uh, these are people winning millions of dollars, and it's still not working. And I don't know if you've seen the docu series on Bill Gates. On Netflix. I have not. It so it's a it's really great. It shows all the amazing work he's doing with his money and his his brilliance, really. But the thing that stood out to me was there's scenes where he is meeting with Warren Buffett and asking him for money and. Saying like stressing about the budget on a project, and you know he has a hundred billion dollars, <laughs> and so I think it's an interesting exercise to think about how much money would be enough that you wouldn't want any more, and you kind of find that there, even if it's not necessarily only lifestyle upgrades, it's like you're starting a foundation or businesses, and it's never going to be enough, or it's already more than enough as long as your basic needs are met. Right, you're fed, you're sheltered, you're safe.
1: Yeah, they say that like $70,000, right, is about 70 to 80. I don't know what the inflation is about it now. But after that, right. you've, you've really had everything covered and you need to you need to actually deal with where you're spending your money. So tell me, where do we start when we're ready to to kind of improve things or we just feel like we're not getting ahead? What's the first thing we have to do? Yeah,
0: so I think the very first thing, and this is is having a little compassion for ourselves for where we are <laughs> because it's interesting and it's very ironic when you think about it, but when we're punishing ourselves for mistakes we've made or beating ourselves up, it almost, it keeps us stuck for moving forward because moving forward would be a reward. So mm-hmm. almost we have to stay stuck in order to punish ourselves. So I think like realizing how much we have working against us where we don't learn about money. We can't hardly talk about it with the people in our lives. Um, it's really emotional talk about like women and people of color have many more disadvantages around money. So really getting that anyone in our position with our experience and our knowledge and choices would make the same decisions that we made. And um, then I would say after that part, which is, you know, a lot of people say I want to forgive myself, um, but really getting that we have a lot working against us. And then I think the next step after that is getting conscious
1: Mm-hmm. I want to talk first about the the giving ourselves some grace, right? And I, I agree with the punishing of we get in this place of I don't deserve the things that I want, right? So I'm going to take them away. But that puts us in a scarcity place, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about are you talking in your book about scarcity versus abundance mindset? Can you lay that out for us?
0: Yes. So it's kind of cool because we t- with the with the earning and never being enough, that is scarcity. And scarcity is mm-hmm kind of like the modus operandi of our society, usually, right? Like if you buy that one more thing, you'll feel good enough, beautiful enough, smart enough, belonging. Um, and then you just have to do the next thing. And it's like that keeping up the Jones is never enough thing. Whereas abundance is like the gratitude around how much we already have, it's already more than enough. And of course, I'm a huge proponent of us earning more and saving more, but that it's not going to be that fix you're talking about when people think, oh, I just need that extra money that will fix everything. Um, So I think one of the cool parts of the money cleanse and helping us become abundant is in the first week, we let go of all of our frivolous spending. And we get to define what that is. So some of us define it more broadly than others, but we see how much we already have when we take what we think is so much away.
1: I like that. And can you... So what is defining it more broadly or more narrowly, right? Like, do some people trying to think about somebody who like has a, a back issue right and they get a weekly massage and that makes it so that they can function right that wouldn't necessarily be a frivolous expense but how do people how do people handle that differently
0: yes so i get a lot of questions about it because the point of the money cleanse is not to be difficult or do exactly what you talked about over restrict ourselves because when you think food and money are very similar and that they're very emotional and when we're on a really restrictive diet, or if I say I'm not eating any sugar in 2020, like all I think about is sugar. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the point of the money cleanse is not to save money by stripping it out. And so peop- there's an image in there, a graphic on layers of an onion. And if you imagine an onion on the outer layers, they're like crunchy and they fall off very easily. So mm-hmm. if something is on the outer layer for us, it's going to seem, okay, that's frivolous. I can let that go. If it's still on the inside part of the onion, we don't have to pull that off. We can just wait for it to happen naturally. So when someone comes back to redo the money cleanse, more of those layers are going to come off each time and they're going to get closer and closer to that core meaningful spending. So I don't think, I guess the idea is that it's not to be hard or make it hard on ourselves. And so somebody might take it all the way to the extreme of like, I'm eating beans at home for the week. Whereas... (laughs) Um, I'm a big fan of having the money cleanse work with your life. So if you already have plans with friends, like keep those plans, have guidelines around those plans so that it's, it's not kind of like same with the diet. Like if you're on a diet that you can never do anything, but stay at home, that's not sustainable. It's not something that you're going to be able to live with. So the money cleanse at first is a program, but at the end, it's your new lifestyle that fits and feels good and helps you save a lot more.
1: And do you think that's just a more valid method to kind of become start to become conscious of our spending than the growing popularity of these no spend challenges, right? Whether it's a weekend or a week or a month. Um, we're, I see that everywhere now of like, I'm not spending any money for the next 30 days.
0: Yeah, so I, I, I think, you know, to each his own, whatever, and teach her own, whatever works for you. And so it could be, I do sometimes think like, for example, when We're feeling really out of control in our spending. Let's say we had a big weekend. Often when we spend overspend, it's just hard to stop because it's like, oh, what's the point? I already made this much, this much overspending. So a spending fast can be really helpful. You have to plan for it. um, But it can stop that cycle of like the purchase and feeling the high from the purchase and then the guilt from it and then needing the purchase again. So it kind of helps us step back. But at the same time, we want to make sure it doesn't bring us into this feast and famine thing. That yeah, we'll lose five pounds in a week, but
1: then gain (laughs) ten
0: and feel really bad and not have fun all the while. You know,
1: both weeks we won't have any fun, right? The loss (laughs) and the gain. So once we strip away kind of those outer layers of the onion, right, and we're doing our our first week of the cleanse, how are we becoming conscious of the other expenses, right? Because there is other stuff going on.
0: Yes, so. I'm a huge fan of keeping a money journal. We do it in the money cleanse. For those of us that it works, um, and people know themselves. Like this morning, I spoke with someone who, to them, cash is like monopoly money. Once it comes out of the account, they just spend more. Totally me. (laughs) So then the cash doesn't work, right? We don't want to do the cash in that situation. Um, But for those of us that it makes it more painful to spend, or makes it that we're more conscious, cashing could be a, a great tool. So. During the money cleanse, we kind of make our plan, and then just so much of our spending is automatic, or swiping, or hitting a button, or not even having a transaction. That just becoming conscious has us realize that, oh, that wasn't worth it, or why am I even still subscribed to that thing? You know, so a lot of realizations can come from that reconnecting.
1: And it can also help you connect with what you actually want, right? I mean, I think some of us have, are so separated from what our true goals are because we're just kind of in the rhythm. This breaks it away, and I, and I want I want you to expand a bit on we talk. You talk in the book about the goal isn't the what, it's the why, mm-hmm. and how do we narrow in on what the why is? Because sometimes we're just so connected with the physical thing, right? Yes,
0: and I think it's the cool part about this is. If, let's say, getting connected to the why of the goal doesn't mean that I have to let go of the thing that I initially wanted, it might mean that. So, for example, if I said, and this example is true for me, I want to go on a vacation. And the reason I want that is because I need some R&R. I want to have some, re- like, I need to relax. So I can definitely still do that. But let's say I don't have the money to do that now. Or I want to put that money towards another goal. Or I just want to add more of that in my life if i get clear on why i want the vacation so let's we know that it's for the r and r what are some other ways to get that r and r that might cost less money so we could fill our lives with those things that we're looking or the experiences that we're looking for or swap them out for experiences things that cost less money
1: it's like that quote you see on instagram of like i want to build a life i don't need a vacation for right <laughs> from like uh, there's like if you can build a little more space into your day for the rest and relaxation those two breaks a year won't be as, as huge for your mental health. Right. Right? Why do
0: I need that? And I do think we often like Instagram is a great example. We say, we like think we need these things or we see other people doing them. So, so much of what we do is just because of what other people do. And we're not taking the time to step back and decide like, is that something I actually get joy from or enjoy doing? And in this conversation on mindset, it's funny because we often think like doing a money cleanse or Taking action in our money is going to be this thing that we should do or we're, we have to do, not this thing that we want to do. But if we reframe that to show, okay, if I do this, I'll actually get to put my money towards the things that I want to do. It's like dealing with our money is a radical act of self-love. It's not restrictive or this
1: thing that is going to limit our fun. Awesome. I, a radical act of self-love. I totally I love it. Uh, <laughs> It like stopped me in my tracks. So great. I want to know, what are some realizations people have had as they've gone through this cleanse? Because you've had a lot of people take this, and I I suspect that some people who've been separated from their money have some big realizations as they have to spend a week actually tracking it.
0: Yes. So I think probably... (laughs) the the most common first realizations are like, I spend what on what? Or like, (laughs) what? (laughs) My annual spend on this? And it doesn't even add any joy. And I think the shifts I see. So for sure, the shift that we just talked about is like, oh, this is a gift to myself. So I show up like excited to, to look at this and to weigh the opportunity cost of things that I'm spending uh, is a is really a big shift because then it's like kind of getting the bug. Like now I care about my money because I know, like, I just went on a vacation and had prepaid for it. And I'm not stressing about money with relation to the vacation or, so you notice the shift in just like the confidence and the, um, the peace of mind around their money and just dealing it with it in a very different way than they've ever had. But I think for sure, there's a lot of what am I spending on this? And I don't even enjoy that. And I'm going to put it towards here, towards this other thing. And it's really cool to see how different each of us are with what is important and what's not.
1: That's so true. So once we've had this week of tracking, right, we, we took a little bit of a fast away from the frivolous things. And now we're having this kind of wake up call of crap, I'm spending way more money on X, Y, or Z than I thought I was. What's our next step? to make sure that we are using this cleanse to improve our relationship with money over the long term?
0: So after the first week, it's all about adding things in. So if anyone just to tell you the first seven days are the hardest days, even though I don't think they should be hard, but everything from there is like, we're adding things in. I'd say the most important thing is to know that we're always going to make mistakes on our money cleanse. Like it's never going to be perfect. And one of the biggest ways we cheat ourselves is by giving up as soon as we make a mistake. So, we're all going to do it. We're going to swipe a credit card when we meant to pay cash. We're going to buy something that we we said we weren't going to buy. And the best thing we can do is try not to judge it, which I know can be hard, but say, okay, let's what happened here and almost look at it like a detective and say, "Oh, I put it on my credit card because I didn't go to the ATM." Okay, why did that happen? So, almost working backwards to set ourselves up that it doesn't happen again, and we can just keep trying like you meant uh, like the the money journal, I forgot to keep my money journal, what are some ways I can remind myself. So I think that part is really important. And almost the most transformation in it is where we make the mistakes. And so from there, we and this is all working on ourselves and looking at our own spending, we do a values statement. So and it's kind of a big, (laughs) a big thing. What is the point of our lives? And then how does that how does our spending feed into that and complement that? We,
1: yeah. That sounds like, a, okay. That sounds like a, huge thing. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> huge thing. How Are we creating our values? We can't just gloss over that. <laughs> how are you creating your value statement? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what's the purpose of life? Check. Put
0: your money to that onto the next thing. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've all mastered it. Yes.
0: Um, and it's cool. This is cool too, because a lot of times our main values stay the same but different things come come in and come out that are important to us. So how we create our value statement is we there's a list of a lot of different words and we read them and just circle what resonates with us and we and through the the prompts we continue to narrow it down to a certain number of most important things and we craft that into a statement that we want to live by and I definitely recommend putting a timer on it because that's something you can spend years on. But we just want to get our first draft. We can always hone it. But it's really interesting to read that statement and then look at an expense and say, okay, scale of one to 10, is that fulfilling that purpose? And a lot of our basic expenses, like where we live, are because I can't do any of that if I don't have my home or my electricity. And then, of course, the other more layered expenses on top of that. So I think it's just a really grounding way to look at our expenses.
1: Okay, so we have our value statement. And are we actually going through, whether it's our expense note, our money journal, or our budget and saying, does this align or does this not line by line?
0: Yes. And it's interesting because it's, it goes back to how personal this is. If someone gave me their list and showed me the numbers, sometimes I would never have put that number there, but they know why. It's so linked because this gives me the time to do this and, you know, people have their reasons and that's why it makes sense to them. So it's a really cool exercise to do. And I agree, you can just print out a bank statement or a credit card statement. You could do it along with your money journal and have it all in there and and kind of rank them.
1: So I'm curious for people you've worked with that are in couples, obviously our money values are different person to person. So if you have a joint budget, do you have any advice for someone who's, you know, there's an expense in there that to them is a five, but to their spouse is a one. How do you square that?
0: Yes. Yeah. So love and money, such a big topic, <laughs> such a great topic. We definitely, and usually, I don't think I've ever had an experience where both people in a relationship value spending on the exact same thing. You know, we tend to mm-hmm. see opposites attract. There's usually a saver and a spender, and we tend to polarize each other. Because as the saver becomes more savvy, the spender becomes more spendy, and that makes the saver more savvy, and that's kind of an easy way for stress to be created. So there's different ways to do it. If let's say everything is combined, there could be a number that each person has the opportunity to spend judgment-free. So Mm -hmm. they would really want to focus on making their own spending aligned with their own values and the other person would make want to make their own spending line with their own values. And then maybe there's almost like a joint value statement for the joint expenses. And that can happen in all one account or in two different accounts. And this is kind of a different topic, but I also find it's really helpful to have a threshold number that each person des- together decides and agrees on that. This is the number if we're spending money over that amount on something that's not like a regular occurring expense, we're going to talk about it. So that there aren't a, those big surprises that come in.
1: That's, that's a huge thing about making sure you keep that transparency in the relationship, even if it's out of your own spending money, right? If it's a massive expense, we should probably talk about it. So when we go through, and so we've marked everything along with our value statement, we've tracked our expenses for a week or two at this point. Is there a point where we're creating like a long-term budget? I know you actually don't like that word. <laughs> you want to tell us what you want to replace it with? Yes. So
0: I call budgets happiness allocations, and I think that's the language we use around money is really important because mm-hmm. even like earlier, I mentioned when in the first week of the money cleanse, we let go of frivolous spending. That feels really different to me than cut. Like when you say cut or stop, like, or stop. Yeah. like letting go feels very powerful. So I think in the same way, a happiness allocation um, is just how we're going to allocate our money in the way that's going to make us the happiest in the short and long term. And budgets get a bad rap. Just that word for me has very negative connotations of having something taken away or cut or restricted.
1: And the same as the word plan, right? Where you feel like you've screwed up if the plan that you've created doesn't match with the future.
0: And it's interesting because I think plan and budget make us feel like it's restricting and it's not, there's not really spontaneity, but it's actually the opposite. When there is a plan, There's room We can build in room to be more spontaneous or to do the things. It's it's ironic when we don't have a plan or happiness allocation, and when I buy something, every single thing I buy feels guilty because I don't really know if I can do it and still meet my goals. But if I know this is for me and I can spend it, then I feel good about it.
1: Or then the opportunity comes up to do something truly spontaneous, go on a trip with a friend for a weekend, and you can't because you made lots of little expenses to... Trying to protect that spontaneity all right, so how do how do we how do we make our happiness allocation in the book? you have these really cool pies, so I, I want to know how you how you think about it. yes,
0: so it's interesting in the book, we make our happiness allocation early because i it's fun to see how it changes. So we put together the mm. happiness allocation, which usually does not look good at the beginning. Then we do all of those exercises like our value statement and the opportunity cost of things like and that helps the happiness allocation start to work so What a happiness allocation is, it's our total annual income, what actually hits our bank account or what we actually get to keep if we're entrepreneurs, and then we subtract out our total annual expenses, and that Mm -hmm. equals what's available for our goals for the year. And we can also flip that. We can say our total annual income minus what we want to put towards our goals equals what's available for our lifestyle for the year.
1: Okay. And then where are we allocating? So then we looking at our expenses and breaking it down?
0: Yes. So the reason I like to do annual, and I know that a lot of people like to look at a weekly or a monthly budget, a few reasons. So the first is that it's really helpful to see the impact of every expense, like the true impact. Just like you mentioned, the little expenses versus the vacation. I was someone who thought I couldn't go on a vacation, but when I added up the little things, I could swap them out and actually do the big thing. So it's really helpful Uh to take a real look at where everything's going. And then also just because a lot of times things happen, like the holidays or a trip or a wedding, and they're not happening every single month. So it's helpful to build those all in, and then of course break it down to something weekly or monthly. It's not helpful to say, to go to the grocery store and say, I have 3,000 for the year. (laughs) That's not helpful to guide us, but I like to start from the, the next 12 months.
1: Mamas, Ashley and I have more to share about how to make room in your annual happiness allocation for the things that matter most. But first, I want to share a quick word from our sponsors who help make this show possible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Debt.com. One of my favorite things about Debt.com is that they remove the embarrassment around getting out of debt. If you're feeling overwhelmed by monthly payments or balances, but don't know who to turn to, Debt.com can match you with the perfect, trustworthy debt solution provider to help you create a debt freedom plan and build a strong financial foundation. You can learn more by visiting smartmoneymamas.com backslash debt, or by calling their free support line at 844 462 8280 to discuss solutions for your unique situation. That number again is 844-462-8280. Debt.com for when life happens. All right, Ashley, so we have our 12-month happiness allocation, but it probably doesn't look exactly the way we want it to the first time we put it together. How do we use the idea of opportunity cost to make more space for the things that matter most to us?
0: Yes, so it's interesting. So we talked about the some big realizations where someone sees, I spend thirty five hundred on lunch and that feels bad. Why am I doing that? So sometimes we have the realization just by seeing the numbers, and a lot of times we're like, is that normal? Is that what I want to be doing? I have no idea. And what I found works really well to help us decide if that dollar is truly treating us, it's going to the place we want, is to look at it in terms of what else we could do with the money. So Mm-hmm. A fun way to do it is just to write down some things that make us really happy that cost money and then write down on average what that thing costs. If it's like a dinner with friends, if it's a weekend getaway, if it's a massage, if whatever it is, and then look at some of our regular expenses in terms of our, our happy thing, which is the opportunity cost. And so people will say like, oh, if I stop getting smoothies, I could have 18 more dinners with my friends. Would that be worth it to me? You know, and the cool part is that there's no right answer. It's just what's right for us when we take a look and weigh that.
1: And what about people who don't have, us? they're not spending money on smoothies or lattes, right? They're really closer to that, you know, even less, maybe even less than the 70000 cut off. How do they start to build some happy things into their life to improve their relationship with money, right? Because if we're constantly just feeling deprived, it's going to be hard to get into an abundance mindset.
0: A hundred percent. And of course, like there, are, there are levels of income where all of this is null, you know, like yeah. where none of this is helpful. The thing I'd say, regardless of what our income is, there are, I, I dubbed them frugal joys. They're free or inexpensive things that make us happy. And mm-hmm. the book has a hundred of them. They don't apply to all of us. Some things like I love taking baths, and one of my friends like that's like sitting in your filth, and she thinks it's not (laughs) fun. Um, so, So it's it's cool to try them. Sometimes they sound great, and then when we try them, they're not as fun. But the cool part with these is if we have no budget for paying for things that make us happy, frugal joys are great because we can add in these little joys to get some joy in our life that don't cost money. Or if we're just looking to, to decrease that spending balloon in our happiness allocation, we can swap in some of the things that we do that cost money with these frugal joys. So it's a great, or if we are happy with how much we're spending, we can just add them in and make our life more joyful.
1: Speaking of frugal joys, um, our my husband and I's favorite like date night activity, which is so nerdy, is we have a local board game shop that has a wall of like 400 board games and there's no table fee. You can go in and play anytime. So it's like my mom watches the kids. We probably spend five bucks on like snacks and drinks at the front of the shop, but we can go sit for four hours and play games, be out of the house, be away from the kids, see other people. But the whole trip costs us a couple of bucks That's and really it's, it's great. I love
0: that frugal joy. That's really good. And it's and a lot of times like we don't realize that there's ways like that's a, a brilliant one and it just sometimes they take a little bit more planning than the ones that everyone else is doing that cost money but sometimes they're like a bit more fun and so it can be a real win win.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we used to do. Oh my gosh, what did we call them? basically it's something like fabulous fun days but when we were even in college and then first when I was working on wall street we planned these silly days that were kind of out of the realm of what wall street young wall street employees would usually do apple picking or whatever and it is <laughs> great 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 memories
0: all right I <laughs> so like I can, doing I- um like that I like exploring neighborhoods when the weather's nice because then you're kind of there's some exploration there might be costs if you like hop into to like try a cookie at a bakery, or a, but it's you're getting activity or outside. There's yeah, there can be a really you're
1: learning fun. about your community. I love it. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so we are understanding opportunity costs for making those trades. What's the last week? How are we synthesizing all of this?
0: So the last week. So at the first three weeks, we're really talking a lot about ourselves because until we figure mm-hmm. ourselves out, we can't really bring in other people. But when it comes down to it, there are a lot of other people and things in the world. So it's all about how to how to deal with that. And we kind of break them down into our dream team. These are the people who we spend a lot of time with, maybe make a lot of spending decisions with who we want to be able to support us in our goals and what we're trying to do. And it's, you know, we it sounds simple, but we really don't bring them in on it often because we don't talk about money. And then and. And then there's like everybody else. So I call them, these are environmental toxins, um, and they're the people, places, and things that get the best of our spending. So how do we deal with those? Like, you'll see so many memes about Target. I didn't have a shopping list, but Target told me what I needed when I got there, you know, those kind of things. So, (laughs) So how to deal with the world around us, which... Can be really helpful and, and real life practical. And then, what are how are we, what is our new lifestyle going to be? So, how are we going to track and maintain these habits going forward?
1: Let's talk about the dream team for a second. Because when I was reading the book, you have a tip in there to commit to sharing your financial goals with five people in the next week, and this has got to be terrifying for almost everyone. <laughs> how do we even start these conversations?
0: Yes. Okay. So. And it's interesting because it's when we think about money conversations with our dream team, we don't have to come in and say, this is what I earn. This is how much debt I have. You know, We can say, this is what I want to save for. This is what I'm trying to save per week. It can be something that feels less scary than like, here's all my numbers. I do recommend starting. So let's say we have a list of the people. And they usually include people we work with. Because if you think about how much time we spend at work, We're making decisions about lunch every day, how we're getting home. Sometimes people shop in their afternoon break, like what is happening at work? Um, And it's also when we do a lot of our banking and investing and, and then also like family, close friends, our partners are all really important people. So if you have a list of who you think your true dream team is, what is the easiest conversation to have first? And this might be the friend who's already complaining to you about money or you already are talking because they're your gym buddy or your meditation buddy and now let's just add this in and it can be so when we talk about and how we typically do talk about money when we do is like oh I need to save but like or I'm spending way too much you know but it's not specific and it's not something that makes our friend it doesn't really enroll our money buddy when we just say oh I need to save more and I sound like I'm complaining about it it's important to share why it's important to us so I'll feel so much better when I pay this down or when I feel like I'm on top of my everyday spending and it doesn't feel out of control. That would be so important to me. So to show that it's a real win if they can support us in this.
1: That was what stuck out when you said the person who's already complaining to you about money to me is like, that would not be a person that I would naturally list for my dream team, right? Because it just feels like they have a negative mindset. Is there a way we can shift that conversation with that person of like, hey, I read this book or, or some other way to introduce it. Yes, and I think that's a really good point
0: because if it's just randomly someone in your life complaining about money, they're not on your dream team. It would have to be, <laughs> and it's if, maybe they are, right? But it would have to be someone who is important to your decision. So like a partner is really important and maybe your partner's complaining about money or the person you sit next to at work who you go to lunch with every day. Like it has to be someone who, is either a good friend or someone even and it doesn't have to be in person, it could be someone you chat with all day on WhatsApp, but people who actually influence our actions and our decisions and have an impact on us. So I think that's the first clarification. And then if someone has already opened the door to have a money conversation, that makes it a little bit easier to start the conversation or the person we're closest with who we share most openly with about other things that might be a good person to start with. So whoever, and you'll know who it is, the person who just seems easiest on the dream team to start with shifting the conversation. And I do think, so when that's another great idea is you can always blame me when you bring up these conversations, like I'm reading this book and this is something we have to do (laughs) in order to, to make an impact on our money lives. Will you try this out with me? You know, so that can be another way to start the conversation, but to shift it, I think, it's kind of, I don't know if you've read Marie Kondo's book, The life Changing yeah. Magic of Ch- Tidying Up. So when I started taking the action in that book before I finished it. And that meant I was throwing away my husband's stuff. <laughs> then you get to the point where it's like, no, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> and her point is like, you're supposed to, once your life looks a certain way and you look less stressed and things are going well and you're excited about this, you're almost like, You're inspiring other people to do the same. So I think with shifting others' mindset is leading as frustrating, especially in relationships as that can be, is to lead by example. That's often more fruitful than trying to do it for them. Because now my husband doesn't like her because he thinks that her book says, throw all your husband's things away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Marie Kondo. (laughs) Luckily, she has other fans, so it's okay. I think she'll survive. Yeah. So let's so then let's talk about toxins. How do we find these people or just identify them? And do we have to cut them out of our lives completely? Or can we learn how to manage them?
0: So we can definitely learn how to manage them. I think, you know, toxin is a hard, harsh word, especially when we're talking about people. So I want to reiterate that it does not mean they're bad or that we don't like them. It's just how we find them as we notice when we spend money that we didn't plan to, or we regret. So like people that are associated with regretful spending over and over are probably people that are toxic to our spending. And that doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that something, or maybe they are, they could be bad. They don't want to in their life, but a lot, most of the time if we're spending time with them, we enjoy them, we love them and we just need to figure out a way to make it. So it's easier for us to hit our goals, even with that relationship and the same goes for things and for places. Like for me, a place that used to get me all the time was Sephora. Because there's, you can get a million things, they put it on your face, it looks great. And then I go home and still don't know how to use it. And people even shared that even outside of the people, places, and things are like experiences or can have them spend more than they want. So to define toxic, it would just mean... Spending in a way and it doesn't ha- it can be big or small that I regret later. Like I've spent in a way that I I didn't want to spend.
1: So can you give an example of if you know you have a trigger, right? Like when you go out to friends with drinks, you spend more than you want to. What are some ways we can still go do that activity or still go see those friends and avoid the trigger?
0: Yes. So there's a few ways. So the first question to ask is, do I actually? Is there a way to avoid the trigger altogether? So. For exa- a trigger for a lot of people is the grocery store, funny enough, because when you're checking out, there's all those things, they they put it in they organize it in a way that it's easy to grab things that maybe weren't on your list or that, you know, come home and all you have are all these snacks and no real food. And so for people who have the grocery store as a trigger, like is there a way to avoid the grocery store? And for some no, for others could I send a partner? Could I grocery shop online? Sometimes Even though online has a delivery fee or it's more expensive, we end up spending a lot less because we have to search exactly what we want. So that keeps away a lot of the frivolous spending. In the case that you mentioned, like I have a group of friends who goes out for drinks, I don't really want to avoid that. I don't want to avoid my friends. So, a way we could change the trigger if it's actually going out for drinks is saying, hey, I would love to host like but that probably wouldn't be something that would be sustainable every single time. So what we can do is first of all knowing that it's toxic to us is really helpful. So knowing that oh I have a tendency to go out to drinks with friends, plan on buying one drink and then end up staying and going out for dinner and going out for late night drinks or whatever the thing that happens. And so what we can do is it sounds silly sometimes but we work really well with rewards. So Having a plan for the toxin and then rewarding ourselves when we stick to the plan and even allocating potentially more realistically to that toxin. So if let's say our friends get drinks every week and on average I spend $35 every time, maybe I decide I want to allocate $100 a month to drinks with friends and Mm -hmm. once that's up, then I just say no. Or once that's up, I suggest an alternative or so we can create guidelines for ourselves around the toxin and then um, set up rewards.
1: And I think toxin is such a harsh word for this, but I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about kids activities, right? Which can be such a trigger for so many parents because they don't want their kid to miss any opportunities, right? So they wanted them to go to the field trip and they want them to play on all the sports teams and setting that budget and saying like, okay, after that. Either we do something else, we do something free, or you have to make up the difference depending on how old your kid is I think can can create some frame of reference, but kids are such a trigger for so many parents
0: yes, because we want to give them everything that yeah a hundred percent so something depending on the age that could be really fun is bringing the kids in on it so um, let's say we want to spend a hundred dollars like I'm just saying random numbers, but a hundred dollars this month on kids activities or, and We tell them every like if we if we hit this number within the month, like we're gonna get a pizza party or something exciting that we all decide on together. It's a really Mm -hmm. cool way to first of all start talking about money with our kids and to have them start balancing trade-offs. Like, oh, if we don't buy tickets to this thing and we instead go to the park, then we're gonna be closer to getting our pizza party at the end of the month. And so It's fun to bring them in on it because then sometimes they can hold us accountable better than we hold ourselves accountable.
1: There was an example. We had someone that spoke at the Mama's Talk Money Summit talking about how she was looking out her back window and she said, we really need a bigger backyard. And her five-year-old daughter went, mom, you want a bigger backyard. You don't need a bigger backyard. So they, they really do keep us on point. Yes, that's really funny. All right. So I love this money cleanse. We spent the first week cutting our frivolous expenses. We spent the second week working on our happiness allocation. Right. Am I getting this right? We spent the third week. What do we do the third week? Set our goals. Values Values and and goals. goals. Yes. Okay. And then the last week, uh, identifying our dream team and our toxins. You talk about how when you're done with this cleanse, like you have this new routine with money. How do you keep it going as you exit this kind of guided process?
0: Yes. So the most powerful ritual for me is actually having money parties. And these are times where we show our money some love every two weeks, every month. So if, if we do it every month, it's going to be a longer money party. If we do it every two weeks, they'll be shorter, but we're doing them more frequently. So it's really up to you. But it's a time where we check in. So we look at how did the spending go? Are we on track? It, did this go to the things that are important to us? Um, it's also a time to check in on goals. Are we putting money towards the things that we want to be to, doing? Do we have to up anything, put every, any lower anything? And just also those random financial to-dos that come up, like we have to cancel that subscription or negotiate this fee or roll over that old 401k, that can also get compartmentalized into the money party.
1: And So party sounds like not just you <laughs> who is attending this money party it
0: can be just you not like,
1: that you can't be a party all by yourself exactly. i'm just-
0: <laughs> so a money party so the reason i call it a party is of course for the mindset shift of it it's essentially us running our numbers but we can make it fun so and that is a you get to decide what makes your money party fun i have i'm actually hosting my first live money party this month and i'm very excited to start doing it more often but so we'll be a group of people together having a money party. There's a money playlist. So you can put on music you like. You can pour your favorite beverage. You can get in your PJs. um, You can reward yourself with, if you're doing this with your partner, like we're going to go out after to go play games. Or you can do this with your friends and go out to dinner after. Or you can do it all by yourself in your PJs and have your music blaring. And I think that just thinking about like some people like to light a candle or Anything that makes it more fun and a ritual that you look forward to. And what's also great about it, especially if money is something that's stressful to you, is anything that comes up, as long as it's not urgent, you just add it to your money party agenda. And that's when you deal with your money. And you can rest assured it's going to get dealt with because you do it at regular intervals. So that's kind of how I look at money parties. And I have them with my husband every two weeks and every month.
1: Awesome. And I like that idea of just putting it on the list, right? Instead of constantly bringing up money to your partner, especially if your partner's a little reluctant, um, that seems like a good way to say like, okay, I'll just add it to the list. We'll talk about it in in two weeks or whenever your next money party is. Yes. So Ashley, for someone who is struggling with their relationship with money and is nervous to do the cleanse, what do you want them to know?
0: That's a great question. Um, so I would want them to know that Just any step, like break it down. If you don't want to do the money cleanse, just any step that we can take and break it down to be non-scary can bring us forward momentum. We have a guide that I can share with you. It's a seven-day jumpstart. So it's seven steps. And what I would have people do who are reluctant is just read through the seven and choose one and commit to doing that within 48 hours. And if the step seems scary, which it's okay if it does, break it down even further I think also because we don't talk about money, we don't realize, we, we can like feel like we're doing this alone or we're the only one who's struggling, but really every single person grapples with money and these issues at one time or another. So I think it's, it's really moving. Sometimes when I speak, I'll have people raise their hand if they feel like they should know more, if they feel like they're lost, and the whole room has their hands up. We're like, see, everybody is struggling with this. So I think if you're feeling reluctant, you're definitely not alone and small, our progress will not be linear. So if you're taking small steps, that doesn't mean that you'll just be slowly inching up. It it will be exponential.
1: Yeah. We tell people in our community all the time that progress is progress. (laughs) Just take little, little tiny steps. So Ashley, before we tell people where they can find you, we have to do our version of the hot seat, which if you didn't get it from the board game thing earlier, I'm a major nerd. So we are doing, (laughs) so our hot seat is a sorting hat. So we have a Hogwarts sorting hat full of questions and we're going to pull a question out and see what it reveals about you. Are you ready?
0: Yes, I'm excited.
1: Your question is, what is one funny memory you have since you became a mom?
0: That is such a good question. The one that first comes to my mind so, my son is obsessed with Beyonce. I love it. He is obsessed, um, specifically with Diva, her song. <laughs> and he likes single ladies as well. So, I think, like, just he's always asking people to play Diva by Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I think, like, a funny memory. I just, we just, like, are, honestly, our house is a Beyonce only household dance party all the time. So, I all guess that's time. pretty a unique him he's he's funny he's a funny kid
1: that's great my oldest loves miley cyrus's wrecking ball and he sings it all the time (laughs) (laughs) that just cracks me up and especially in the grocery store and people are like why does that three and a half year old know that song but
0: you know you know what else i thought of so my he's actually obsessed with technology as much as we don't give him technology but he's really into so he the other day in the car he said, "Mommy, I need juice." And I was like, "Oh, what kind of juice? Like apple juice?" juice. He's like, "No, I need to charge." <laughs> <laughs> he like
1: needed to charge. So he, I guess, was tired. I don't know. You gotta plug him in. Gotta yeah. plug him in. <laughs> well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming. Where can people follow up with you uh, and hear more about your story?
0: Yes, you can find me on our site, thefiscalfem.com and on social at the Fen.
1: I love your Instagram channel. So guys, go check that out. And we'll have a link to Ashley's book uh, in the show notes. And Ashley, thanks so much for hanging out with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Mamas, are you ready to do your first money cleanse? I love that Ashley and her students don't just do this process once, but come back to it periodically to see what's changed and to recenter their focus. Money is not an area of our lives that we magically solve once and for all. It's part of everything we do, which is why we need to keep coming back to it with fresh eyes and mindfulness. As we become more aware of our money, things that once seemed critical to our budget might fall away easily. As life changes, we may have to make space for new expenses or change our goals. It's all part of the process. But by being aware and thoughtful about our money, even through setbacks and mistakes, we maintain our financial power instead of relinquishing it to outside forces. Now, before you run off and kickstart your own money cleanse, I want to share three of my favorite takeaways from everything Ashley shared today. First, there's no such thing as perfect. Don't wait for the exact right moment and don't quit when something goes wrong. So often, we wait to start budgeting or to start a money cleanse until we can find a week or a month that's normal, a month with no work travel or kids events, but there is no such thing as a normal month or even a normal day. Just be willing to get started imperfectly create a plan to work around your travel, build your commitments with friends into your cleanse. And when you make a mistake, when you forget to keep your money journal or accidentally swipe your card instead of using cash, stop the self-flagellation. Identify what went wrong and get back on track. We can't micro control our environment and we have to build healthy money practices that can handle the ebb and flow of our lives. It's the only way it will stick long term. Second, understand your spending triggers and toxins. We all have things and people in our lives that make us spend more money than we want to. That friend that's always pushing for dinner out or taking the kids on expensive outings. The route home from work that has you stopping for takeout even when you have food at home. It's important to find our money dream team who will understand our goals and lift us up. But those amazing individuals aren't going to be around all the time. It's equally important to learn to identify our spending triggers and create plans to manage them. Set limits for yourself when you make plans with that toxic friend. Find ways to disrupt your spendy routines. When you're aware, you're more likely to stick to your values and avoid letting outside sources make money decisions for you. And finally, maximize your joy per dollar. When you're new to managing your money, a happiness allocation or budget feels restrictive, like you're letting go of fun things and limiting your ability to be spontaneous. However, when we're paying attention to our money and we're aware of our spending, we're better able to assess opportunity cost. We get to make more choices. Lunch out a few times a week or creating a category in your happiness allocation for a beach getaway this summer when you need it most. Upgrading your car that's feeling a little boring to drive or saving for a down payment on a house or a kitchen renovation. The day-to-day little expenses are front and center, It's so easy to grab those little pick-me-ups that feel like self-care, then be frustrated at the end of the month or end of the year when we don't have enough money to do the things that really matter to us. Pay attention. Consider looking at your spending on an annual basis so you have to face the total value of those quote-unquote little things. Then make a conscious choice about what brings you the most joy and comfort, because it should be up to you. Mamas, I want to thank Ashley again for joining me on the show and our sponsor, Debt.com, for helping make this episode possible. If you'd like to see the full show notes for this episode with links to Ashley's book or to download your free copy of our Healthy Money Mantra worksheets, visit smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Ashley. Keep talking money mamas. I'll see you next week.